just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to Speaking of Influence, the show about presentation skills and influence and persuasion with John Ball from Present Influence. Speaking of Influence is recorded and distributed using Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout makes it easy to record and upload your podcast and get it onto all the major podcasting networks and get your journey into podcasting started. So why not begin your podcast today? Check out the link in the show notes. Welcome back to the show. I'm really happy to have with me a guest today who is helping me further my course into humor and presentation skills and leading with laughter. And she is an award-winning award comedian. She is a, an actress. She is a presenter and a really fun person to chat with. And uh-huh. let's give you a bit of a taste of what she does uh, just before we fully introduce her today. So. I love being online. My first internet friend. L O L C D. Oh, the pony emoji. Yo, Mark! Mark! Who is she supporting, I wonder? The team, I guess. The team. Yeah. You, you ain't got no fans, you ain't Man United. Don't, don't take me for no mug. Amanda's in the house. How you doing, babes? Come on, give us a hug. <laughs> Think sexy thoughts. Oh, thanks for sharing that. Hey, it's really cool. Please welcome to the show, Melanie Gale. Welcome. Thanks for that lovely welcome, John. Thanks for having me on here. And it's hello really to all of your listeners or viewers. I, I loved the clips that you sent through to me. I wish we had more time to show them, but people can come and find you and find more about your, your work and see you in action, and which is definitely well worth doing. But I am delighted that you've agreed to come and be on the show. And when we had a chat about what we would come and talk about, uh, I knew it was going to be a lot of fun because you are an absolute delight to chat with. Oh, and, you. and you're hilarious. I mean, you are naturally. <laughs> I try, I try. Which, which, I get it from my dad. I get it from my dad. Which makes a lot of sense of why you would go into, into comedy, but it's one of the toughest areas to go into right it's so tough and it's like um everybody says that comedy is so tough or they really respect and rate comedians and stuff and I think that's probably something that made me like growing up I'm just was funny like in the family it was just something at school you know the class clown always telling the jokes the party starter it was just like so normal but to go out as stand-up 
I think you do have this thing that's a bit more serious and you know it is it's some some kind of more fear to step out of my family and friend circle that tell me that I'm funny and make that step to a stage or an empty room so it's quite scary and daunting but um I had to get over that fear it took me a while it took me a while before I actually went out and did comedy for others you know out of my circle I can I can absolutely believe it you know I I've gotten better over the years at putting humor into my presentations but even now for me the thought of going on a stage as a stand-up fills me with dread <laughs> it, is, it is scary what I did at the beginning is I I didn't always bring people with me so then I just realized you know what if I go and I fail or no one laughs or whatever at least no one saw it sort of thing right so I didn't always bring the people that validated me as well and I wanted to know if I could make others laugh I knew I could make my family laugh and that yeah, that's but could I, so it was more of a challenge to go in a room by myself with nobody and just make them laugh because I like to I like to challenge myself mm. and that's what I thought okay I knew I could do that but to come out of my comfort zone I don't want my friends laughing at the front like go on Mel, go because your friends and family would always support you but what about strangers just a room I've never been to yeah. can I make them laugh and that's that's how I kind of went and I didn't really mind if no one was there it's like oh yeah I know then then when I got better I would tell people to come yeah, yeah. So, so you built up your confidence with it. But I think most people would find themselves in the position or, or feeling that, well, I don't have to do that, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but So what, what got you past that about thinking, no, I, I want to do this or even I have to do this? Well, what happened is um, on my journey, again, um, I saw like there was a comedy course, a comedy novices course. Um, and I just thought, OK, I know my kind of comedy, but stand up, I just thought it was something totally different. So I did this comedy novices course. It's about seven weeks. Um, at the end of it, um, the last two weeks, you write a five-minute set. And that seemed like forever. Back then, I can talk for hours, easy. But a five-minute set comedy seemed like a really hard work. And we actually did it in two-and-a-half-minute segments each week. And then at the end, we'd perform at this pub in Hampstead. Um, and, and that was what I was aiming towards. I thought, OK, if I, I did the course for, to get the gig and that. And... Um, I, I, as I said, when I wrote my comedy out, I wrote it as a full five-minute set. Yeah. No breathing, no space for anybody else to interact. It was just like me telling my jokes. They're going to laugh here. They're going to laugh there. That's what I thought. And then when I went and did it, as I said, I'm very animated. You know, I was a bit like Lee Evans. I really like kind of move. I get hot. Um, yeah. So I just started doing stuff, actions, maybe my eyes, my face. And they were laughing, things that wasn't on the paper. So I... I didn't get to do all of my set on the first gig because I, and it threw me. So when people started laughing where it wasn't, I was like, oh, then, okay. Then I was like, okay. Then I went with it, but then maybe I lost a bit of the routine. So at the end, it's like, I just wanted to go out there and just do my full five minutes again. And then there was a contest called the um, Golden Jester somewhere in West End. And the advanced comedy people entered it. And they didn't get through. My comedy teacher entered it and didn't get through. Um, but he said, Mel, just go there. Try your set, you know, get it out of you. You've got nothing to lose. So that's why I had that no fear factor is my teacher didn't get through. So I wasn't expecting anything yeah. other than to perform my set. And that was my second performance. And I got through to the quarterfinals mm -hmm. on that gig. And I couldn't believe it. No one could believe it. Um, and I was, I was, yeah, I was more shocked. But then I had to carry on from there. So it was a great start. 
And then I had to carry on because the quarterfinals was in June. So I had to come back in three months' time and I couldn't come back with two gigs. So the fact that I got through then was very beneficial um, because it made me carry on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, a bit of validation, external validation that we all need. Shock, shock, and shock, a lot of shock. Um, Then, yeah, validation, but um, I I couldn't stop because... Maybe at that stage, if I didn't get through, I might have just gone back to work. Who knows? I could have just, I wouldn't have had a motive to come out again, but I knew I had to come back in June. So you can't come back without a three-month gap. Do you know what I mean? So everyone's like, you've got to go out there. So I was doing three nights a week and stuff while I was doing the day job, just perfecting it and getting it better. So I didn't get through at the next one, but it made me carry on, Mm. which I think was very important, yeah. So would you would you think do you think now you would have been able to do that still without having done the the comedy course would or would it just have been a, a slower road? I think for me from the beginning the comedy teacher said to me like the way I put things the way I am he's like I could go out there. The comedy course for me didn't make me funny but it gave me the confidence. It gave me the confidence to go out there which is what I needed because I, said, I had it in my family and I had it amongst my friends but as I said you know a big stage I didn't necessarily feel so confident and, and maybe my stuff was always freestyling. This is now written. So it's, you know, the stuff you do at home is not, it's just you being funny, isn't it? Yeah. But now I've got to write something funny. You know, it's like, if you, you know, you write a song, you write a hit song, but then can you do it again? So it's, you're pressuring yourself to write a hit set, but you might be just funny naturally for years. So it's a bit of pressure to write a funny set. I have, I have a kind of feeling that, one of the reasons why it's easier to be funny with your family and with your friends is because you're generally comfortable and at ease with this. Them. Is what I'm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, you don't feel like you're doing an act, whereas I think with stand-up, it's like, you right. know, you're coming out there and you've got to have something. You've got to have some story, some kind of theme. Are they going to take to it? Some do musical comedy. There's so much different comedy. Are you puns? Are you one-liners? Are you a story? So then it's finding... I naturally found that I'm a storytelling comedian because in my family, this is what we do. Tell stories. Oh, did you hear about this? Do you know what I mean? And everybody's trying to be louder than everyone in my family. So I think um, stories. So I'm like a storytelling comedian. I do a few little one-liners. Well, I'm about the build and the way I tell it. Which they always do say it's the way you tell it. Some famous comedians say it's the way you say it. And it really is, I think. But in public speaking, as much as in comedy, stories are, are a really important part of everything and I think if I think about my favorite comedians um they're nearly all or maybe even exclusively uh storytellers rather than yeah, rather than joke tellers they're, they're storytellers and um and and they bring stories to life and they bring you into that world and and then they surprise you with something and that's the thing other. yeah it's storytelling the course but what he did teach me he gave me arts of stuff so again he went through all the puns and all of that I'm like I know that's not really I like the art of that very mm. clever all that part is very good but it's not my style and um, with the storytelling and stuff then he would tell you, you know you take the story and exaggerate it which is what we kind of do in family you know everyone's always making the story better than it is in your family you know so in the comedy it's like taking a little thing and making it huger you know and there right. sort of was no limit before now you've got this cancel culture you've got to be careful but before <laughs> you, you know before you were unlimited in what you could say really as a comedian um, and yeah. but not today not today and you've got to be careful but um yeah, yeah, no, so it's, it's really interesting. I love it. Yeah, I, I think so. I did, uh, last year, I, I did what's called a Tall Tales competition, which is like taking a, a real story from your life and wildly exaggerating yes. it, which is a similar kind of thing. This and, is the thing. 
and it went down pretty well. I, I won, so I assume it was quite a good story. Um, but people were laughing and people were very entertained by it. And, and, and hey, that's the kind of thing you could do in a, in a comedy uh, stand-up, I guess. And the beauty of that is it's your story. So what I found is a lot of comedians sometimes steal all the same thing, you know, this and that's a bit samey. Mm. But if you've got your own sort of stories or something, people really can't copy it and it makes you unique. When I first started, my story at the time was... Um, I lost four and a half stones. So I had, I lost a lot of weight. And at the time, everybody wanted to lose weight, all these fad diets and everything. But yeah. I lost the weight and I didn't want to lose the weight. So I did a reverse sort of thing. I was like, oh my God, the weight's gone, but I don't want to be skinny. So I was like, people wasn't expecting my jokes. So I'll get claps from it. And then I'll be like, but I want to be big again. I want to be fluffy. And so it was not what they expected. So I would always go like against the grain. Like again, people always thought I was a singer. When I came out, they know it's a comedy night. They'd see everybody's comedian, but then they'd see me. I just have a short haircut, like Motown style. Well, it wasn't really, but the guys would be like, oh, Motown, you're singing for us tonight. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> and I'm not singing tonight at all. I'm a comedian. It's a comedy night, but I would play on that. So I'd come out and I'd be like, <clears throat> and people think I'm going to do the biggest singing night with me or something. And I do the worst singing on the planet, like, ah! absolutely terrible. And that would get them because, this, again, they was expecting it, but I, I never told you that's what I do, mate. So I would just go with that and just go with things that people threw at me along the way. And that literally every every event, I would start to feel like, oh, so I'm kind of singing. And they'll be like, oh, my God. But that oh, would get great, them straight man. away. Yeah, that would get them straight away on side. So it's like winning the room, you know. It's yeah. the same as presenting, it's engaging the room. Yeah, and a lot of comedy is about subverting expectations. Yes. People think they're going somewhere, and then all of a sudden, there's a contrast that takes them where they weren't expecting to go. Yeah, and and that tends to be almost not a shock to the system, but in some way it is. But enough to be a bit of a surprise. They go, oh, yeah. 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 And and our brains respond to it. What sort of things do you generally find funny? Well, I, I've got like a really silly humour. So I laugh at like, I'm proper silly. I was like, grew up on, what did we used to watch? Like Bottom or these, um, when I, I was like going to Kenny Everett, you know, Kenny Everett, Red oh, Dwarf. Everett, my God. Um, oh God. I watched silly stuff growing up. Mm. Benny Hill. Nowadays, a bit of Keith Lemon. I'd watch a bit of Keith Lemon. I'd watch Kevin Hart. But in general, my humour's just silly. The silliest comedy. I'm not, does it not too deep? Not too, I like you can be clever and all that. Like oh wow, I'd say that's really clever. Sure. But I can just the silliest stuff. Like that's what I enjoy doing. That and again, I think people don't expect. I'm a businesswoman. I've got my own company. People don't expect me to be silly. And yeah. so the minute I'm silly, that's a surprise already. Do you know what I mean? Because you know people are going to think I'm going to be very serious. I can be very serious, but I'm a comedian and I love to be silly. So yeah. my humor style is any stupid stuff. Um, Jim Carrey. Robin, um, Robin, yes, Robin Williams, those type of guys, Naked Gun guy, um, Leslie Nielsen, yep, yep, him, you know, growing up on all the kind of films you used to make back in the days, Man of Two Brains, you know, like jerk, silly, silly humours, yeah, yeah, I'm old school as well, old school films, old school, um, stuff like that, yeah, that's great, Uh, do you, do, is that representative of, of your comedy at all? I mean, you, you just like be playful generally, like you do that in life. Is that what you Yeah, I think in stuff? general, my comedy is um, very lively, energetic. I, I describe myself as like a bit, I'm very fast. And I've got a lot to say in the short times. 
and I'm and I'd say I'd animated like Lee Evans. So like you know how he's really I'm definitely very moving. Yeah, yeah. But yes, I'm very moving with the stories. But again, I could do as I said, I can go from weight loss to like a holiday story, work stuff, commuting. Again, keeping it real, sometimes keeping it real to what's happening, current stuff. Um as I said, I was saying to you before, I don't like to just do old material again and again. So um, you know, right about now I've got my talent agency. There's a lot of stuff that happened in the world of my talent agency behind the scenes right. that could be good humour. If I put it into, if I went out tomorrow, I'd have to, I'd do new stuff. You know, yeah. I'd do hand modelling. When I became a hand model, oh my God, some weird stuff happened. Like, <laughs> I, I could have got a whole set at that. You know what I mean? If I did a gig yeah. that week, it probably would have been about, oh my God, I'm a hand model now. So I go with very fresh, real current. Um, but it could be about anything that I'm kind of passionate about. Like I sing and I rap, so again, people expect me to sing, but they don't expect me to rap. Well, I was a rapper singer. I'm more of a rapper. So when I did a terrible singing, they're like, oh, my God. And I'll be like, I'd say I'm going to drop some bars or some raps for you before I go. And the people's like, oh, my God, what's she going to do now? Like, but then I drop a, I'm a good rapper. And then the people's like, oh, my God, like, it wasn't funny then. then again, I just playing with their head because they're like, they were looking for a comedy rap. But I'll give them a good rap. I'll be like, yeah, see you later. And their head's just like, oh, my God, this girl's good. Because they thought that was going to be a joke rap. So it's, yeah. as you said, it's just playing playing different. Don't Not predictable. You can't really be predictable. Here's, she's going to do this. Oh, yeah, she's going to give us a Whitney. That's not really yeah. great. I mean, I, I think back to someone who's a great comedian and entertainer like... Um, sadly late Victoria Wood but yes. I mean when if you remember her TV shows I, I know people outside the UK might not even know who that is but yeah, I don't was, know why I didn't mention her she was one of the people yeah she was definitely very big French and Saunders French and Saunders who yeah, may be a bit more internationally known certainly Jennifer Saunders was absolutely fabulous as well yes. but, but um, you know big, big influences on my humour undoubtedly but oh, Victoria yeah. Wood's TV show would be she would sing a song and sometimes it would be a comedy song or sometimes it wouldn't. Sometimes it would be a real ballad that was from her heart. Or, yeah. You know, so, and, but a lot of her... And she was very good. She was very talented. Oh, yeah. Yes, very talented. And Lee Evans can play piano. So a lot of these comedians, I'm saying you can do musical. You can... Mm. A lot of the comedians... I think Bradley Walsh's comedian musical, a lot of them sing and stuff. And and actor, I sing yeah. and rap. And then there's a whole thing of musical comedy that I didn't really explore. But those great ones, that's what they were doing when they went on TV, using all of it. So I'm saying... A comedy could be a joke, or it mm. could be a song, it could be a poem, or as I said, it could just be when you're talking, you can be funny. So comedy is always amongst us. Um, there, there are comedy, you know, as I said, just musical comedy records, all those um, spoof records and things like that, you know, when they, the Michael Jackson bad, and you just take the mickey out of it. So it, it, you, you can put comedy on, on anything. Do, do you like um, journal your your humor at all like things you find funny do you keep a, a record or a track of that or do you I just don't. that's like... why even when you ask me like great so I even forgot all the females I know I forgot all the females there like but as soon as you said some others um yeah I, I don't actually journal it um it's just something as I said just growing up it's just been like my dad was funny and then I was funny and it's just like I went out the other day and they're like oh the party starts now it's just like everywhere I just kind of grew up I was the one that just brought that vibe when I when I sort of came and um, but I, I, I didn't really I didn't expect to be a comedian or, or do it as a profession and I did many things before comedy because I say sometimes something's in your face it was so natural I never thought of doing it but I did presenting I just I did a TV presenting course I did I, you know I hosted events I've done radio I've done DJ and I, 
I did everything else, but not comedy. But comedy is the last thing I did that brought me back to everything else, which was really weird. I, I tried for years to be a host and a presenter. I, I got through some contests and trouble TV and got to the finals, but I never got a job. But the minute I became a comedian, someone said, can you host? And I said, yeah. And then I started hosting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was really weird. But as, because people look at comedy so highly um, that the minute I became a comedian, they just thought I could do anything. Even though I trained for it many years before. Mm. But without the comedy, I didn't get the offer, which was interesting. Yeah. And this is maybe a question I should ask all my guests in the future. But had had you gone to be a professional rapper instead of a comedian, what would you be called? Oh, my. I was. A, hello. I was a professional rapper, darling. Sorry. <laughs> I was a professional rapper. And your um, stage used, name? My stage name was Caramel G. Copyright, copyright. You know, that's so hip. It's, it's old school. But I was Caramel G, a.k.a. MTG. And I, I did an album on like, my own label called Raising the Game. And it's in Spotify. It's still out there. It's out there in iTunes and stuff like that. Um, so MTG was like, that's my initials. Um, yeah. Melanie Teresa Gale and Caramel G was like sweet and sexy R&B and stuff. I, I thought I was like the UK Missy Elliott at the time. But I, I mean, when I go back and I listen to some of my rap lyrics, you'd think I was writing comedy. But I'm saying, if you listen to some of my rap songs, they were so cheeky and feisty, like attitude. You would have thought I was writing comedy rap songs. But I was just putting my attitude on my music. Mm-hmm. But it was, it, it could almost be comedy. You thinking, oh my God, is she really saying this stuff? But I did as a rap thing, but they definitely could have been some comedy elements in my lyrics that you think, this girl, she's cheeky one. Do you know what I mean? You pick that up even in my rap. In, in any kind of speaking or performance, humorous or otherwise, you, you have to find your voice. Do do you feel that you already had that or is it something that's developed uh, along the way for you? I think when I first came out in comedy, I I had to kind of find my comedy persona for stand-up. For stand-up, you have to have a comedy persona because initially I used to come from work. So I might have had on my blazer or like work clothes, um, dress, shift dress and stuff. And I, I found like people would come out maybe judging you before, people definitely judge you the minute you step out. And they think, what's she going to do and blah, blah. But I think when, right. when I had that kind of look with what I was doing, I don't think it fitted because I just came from work sort of thing. But my comedy persona is that I used to be a tomboy. So my comedy persona is like, yeah, when I was high, when I was young, like all the stuff, probably if I did comedy back then, it's the same sort of energy, but like just today. Um, so it's much more young and energetic. So in the end, I, che- I literally changed my hair. So for comedy... I had like a short hairstyle. When I came out again, when I started winning and stuff, I had on this like little short jacket. It was like my lucky blazer. I scored my lucky blazer because that's when I started getting through in comedy finals. So it's like a little short black blazer, best yeah. tops, sometimes a funny writing. I used to have funny writing on my top and stuff. And then just jeans, maybe some bling on it. And then I just came in a more, maybe like a guy, just like, just like a guy maybe. And I, I think they thought, I think they think I was a bit more, before they thought I was a bit girly, girly, and I was just thinking, oh, maybe too girly five. But when I came out a bit more like that, a bit more edgy, they loved my hair. They seemed to love this new comedy look that I had. So I often I just wore jeans, vest tops. I didn't wear any skirts and that. Initially, I think when I had my skirts and dresses, it wasn't working. Hmm. Um, and then like just my trainers and that. So I got my image right. And then I think, yeah, I had to get that. I think once I got that right, and that's what the people sort of liked. And my comedy fitted that look. So I just think my other look from work didn't fit my comedy. 
So it was a case, in some some case of dressing the way that you needed to dress and let the character come from that. Did it sort of yeah, that yeah? Because I was I was bringing a character out, a part of me. It's me, but it's not my work clothes. Right. And as I said, and and I'm I'm even in comedy and, and acting. I do a lot of comedy and characters. And the minute I put costume on, like so I'm very about what I'm wearing. So mm. even on dress down days at work, I wouldn't go to work on a dress down day in like a hoodie and t-shirt because I just don't even feel like working. So I still would tend to have a blazer or something smart, even if I've got a vest or if I'm doing some kind of movement. I think I, I take what I wear does make a part of you. I think it's, it does make a part of you, even if it's just a day job. I, I didn't really, I know if I put on my hoodie and that, I just didn't really feel like working much today. It's, it's your uniform, right? I mean, yeah. in, in many ways, it's um, it's like making all these things we can do to make that mental transition for this is, this is what I'm doing right now. And uh, so it, almost compartmentalizes that in your life and you step into it and you own it um you know a more extreme example of that would be like drag queens like when they get into character they'll say when they put the final bit of putting the wig on that's when the character comes you can see the change and you know a normal guy before and after and that they have to be different yeah and so it wasn't like sometimes it was just i said just the jeans like i didn't always wear jeans but it just gave me that little bit of thing that the audience seemed to like that look and i didn't really deviate from that look really mainly just like a little cool blazer and and my jeans and trainers was my main thing yeah cool uh, that's really interesting and, and i want to ask you a little, a little bit about the maybe more the acting side but it's still relevant to your comedy as well but the characterization like w- what your process is in terms of characterization uh, you know other than um the the look how do you when you're acting get yourself into oh. a character um character is everything i'm from changing my um the look the hair voice my tonality I changed my voice um, the, my movement um, to play American some people do American and just change oh hey y'all da, da. it's not just the voice American is like oh my god girl it's like they have a whole you know it could be a whole movement so yeah. it's not just sitting here okay yeah I'm talking American now but I'm still the same person yeah, yeah it's the whole bravado could be, oh my god girl I'm telling you mm-hmm, it could be a whole shebang and the movement. And as I said, I, um, in my comedy, I do a lot of movement anyway. So I'm definitely like a movement performer. Um, every character from the clothing, the voice, the hair, um, you know, how, you know how they, yeah, the tone, because I talk quite fast and my voice is quite high. Mm. I could never play all the parts I play speak, speak like this. No. So I, no. I change my voice a lot. If I play mum roles, it's deeper, more slow. Listen, child, I told you, but me, I just... Tonality, as I'm saying, even if you're doing presenting, you know, tone is important, acting or whatever. If you're doing presenting, you've got like maybe a boring monotone or it's just a bit lackluster, that that can bring down the room. Yeah. And sometimes you see the people that, because maybe the pacing, the pacing, yeah. Obviously, you can't go too fast because you need everyone to hear. So, again, I know I might talk fast. I'm trying to talk slow now, but I'm very fast speaker. But in film, I know to slow down. If I'm presenting, I'm very aware of that. But yeah. I don't go too slow where the person might nod off. Yeah, yeah? so it's tonality and thing and looking, you know, engaging with the room. You guys understand? Blah, de blah, you know, keeping the people engaged. And you can do that with your voice, changing tones. Um, it's very important in acting, comedy, presenting. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things that always gets fed back to people in the public speaking clubs, like Toastmasters that I go to, uh, is vocal variety. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you present uh, anything at one tone the whole time, then you're going to get, you're going to get read to filter. Uh, so you're going to get, people, get yeah. yeah. And, and, but, but rightly so, because it's such an important thing to, to have. And, you know, I kind of think uh, you know, long before I was ever presenting, I, I got really excited one time when I was a student, I, I'm listening in, I was in, in Northampton, I was listening to local radio and, uh, and I called into a competition and I got through and I won. Wow. And, and, I, and I was saying to several of my friends afterwards, Oh, did you hear me on the radio? And they said, they said yeah, you sound, Sounded really. You sounded like a robot. <laughs> oh, like, I might have been. I might have been a bit stunned. Maybe it was just the being completely the shock. The shock. Yeah, the shock of having been actually selected and got through and won. And I don't think what I won was actually anything of any significant value either. But uh, you kind of did the shock. Yeah, you probably was in shock. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Also, voiceover. So voiceover. I, I do voiceover as well. Um and. I actually just did a job the other day um, from home remotely and it's um, a Caribbean accent. Like, I'm, I don't sound Caribbean at all. I've got it in my heritage. But for that, I just, it was a woman like 45 plus, but I just, I just embodied my gran. And, and um, my dad's never even heard this and I did it and the people loved it. But I was just doing it like it was my granny. Yeah. And there was a comedy, like it's a comedy role as well. And I put a lot of um, ad libs and stuff and I just did my whole lot of tracks back. And it made it into the film. They love it, and they now reckon that my character should have a spin-off. Like they love the character that I created because again, I only had a boy. All I had was forty-five, sixty Caribbean granny, um, just woman, and that was kind of it. And then I just had to think, okay, well, that's not none of that is me. So what am I gonna do? And and my gran is a character. If you know my gran, my gran is a character, right. and the way she says stuff is the way she says stuff herself. Do you know what I mean? It's the only one way she can tell it, mate. And so I took that and they loved it. So I, I, in a voice, I still had to take the character. It's not even, it's still a voice. I still had to create a character for the voice that no one can see. And even when I was still reading the voice, I was still doing it like with feeling. I wasn't just, oh, and then she said, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was still, and then t- I was like, I was still, I think even in the voice you do more because they can't see you. So I'm very aware of tone and characters because for voice you have to do that animation and stuff. You know, you have to bring it to life yeah. um, and make it funny sometimes, comedy, look at all these symptoms. Yeah, so um, the voice is, is, can do a lot, can do a lot. This is, I mean, this is an important aspect to remember for anyone in public speaking. Like a lot of the people who, who uh, watch and listen to, to this show are paying uh, attention because they're interested in presenting and public speaking mm-hmm. and, and probably looking to have some humor come into that as well because yeah. nearly, nearly all presenters do want to have that in their tool belt and um and it occurs to me that uh, a lot of people are gonna maybe find themselves in a, a position where they uh, are not sure how to start introducing that uh, and they're not sure you know, really if they have it within them to do that because i think they forget that this is all a performance. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if you're getting up and giving a speech, it's a performance. It is. And just as much as you doing a stand-up comedy gig or, or acting on, on camera, you have to bring that performance energy. You have to bring that characterization. Um, you know, so very often when people are telling stories, for example, mm-hmm. on, on in a speech or presentation, um, they'll be talking about different people, but 
when people when the presenter is characterizing those people you're not necessarily doing voices but at least get bring some characterization into yeah, it yeah. that story comes to life mm-hmm. we we become a part of that we kind of forget where we are and we get lost in the story and yeah. that has to happen because if you're just reading it yeah like, no. that's no performance no, that's what i'm saying the voiceover is a good example of that um because i could just read it yeah um but i i know when i was doing especially i was like it's a great she's Jamaican granny and it's like Miss Sam getting a hot spot like I was I was moving I was doing more than if I put I wouldn't be doing it like on camera yeah do you know what I mean but I, I think because you have to really get it across and I think so in the room again yeah if you're telling a story and you've got a point to get across or you want to really stress something um you, you have to maybe that's when you're raising it like okay you know you might be like but now I want to come talk to you guys about this like you know just even a pausing of that, you know, then some people might be fading off, but then just that kind of thing. Okay. Now you guys ready for the next level? Like you guys ready? Like get them speaking back to you. You get the people back. Okay. Did everyone with me? Like anybody, cause some, the worst thing for me is the people that sit down in these rooms and they don't understand stuff. Mm. And then the people are like, do you understand everyone? Yeah. Yeah. That's the worst. Like, and I, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. Because nobody wants to be that one. Yeah. But I love asking questions. I love asking questions. I'm, I'm going to be that one that's got questions. Do you know what I mean? I'm yeah. going to keep on asking. And so if I do a presentation, I'm saying something, and I say anything, anything, and the people say no, I'm not having it. I'll be like, no way. Somebody, and then people start laughing because they're not expecting that. Yeah, well, I'm like, there's no way no one has got a question in this room. So I said, if you don't give me a question, I'm going to pick someone out. And then suddenly, <laughs> that's the kind of thing what I would do. And maybe that's not, I don't know what other people do, but I'm human. And I don't believe that everybody in this room, maybe I'd, I'd, I'm good at explaining and stuff, but maybe there's something you didn't quite get or just something you might want to know. If there's 30, 50 people in the room and you throw something out and they just say, oh, no, no. No, I'm not even having that. I just don't believe it. And and then if you push, then the people come. And then once one person starts, you can't even stop them. Right. But once you get, and suddenly, yeah. remember, everyone said no. This is why you always laugh. People said they had nothing to say. But anytime I've done it, when that person starts, you, you have to kind of, oh, we've got to move on now. Because they just need that person to... That's, uh... un- yeah, I'm relaxed the room or whatever. It's social proof. It's like yeah. you know, so someone else does it, and so it's like, okay, well, it's okay to do it. Nobody really wants to be that first person, generally. But, but sometimes you've got to push it. Yeah. Because because that relaxes the whole room. Yeah. It relaxes that, the whole room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, when I very first when I very first went to uh, personal development events in the UK and I did, they do these competition bits then, and, and it was very sort of American style and get people like prices right, running to the stage. Yeah, that's, yeah. What, hey, that's what they yeah. wanted. But this was in, this was in Earl's court, you know, this was. Oh like, no, uh, no. So it's all very timid and nobody wanted to be that person who was getting up or make, being demonstrative or, uh, and yet now if I did that, I would be that person It's like, Yes, I'm coming. Wait for me. Yeah, that's I what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't wait. But you know, back, but at first, nobody does want to be that one, right? Um, but so you need that icebreaker, and then suddenly, then it just went. Oh, it's it's all good to speak. I, when I host live events, um, I used to host like the London short film like filmmaker event, and we used to do like a a session where they would come and pitch ideas and come up, 
So we do the networking, we do this, I'd introduce acts, we do Q&A with directors, then we'd throw it to the room. Mm. This is filmmakers, actors, and you're like, anyone got anything? And they try that, oh, like, no. And I'm like, guys, you came here tonight, surely one of you, and then literally one of them will come. And then literally the guy's got to stop the event like no more because, and then they, and then I say, look, come on, come on, don't be scared. Or even the director Q&A, so you got the filmmakers up. Yeah. And so maybe the director and the writer, they don't want to speak. Yeah. And then they're at the Q&A and you're like, so tell me about how it started and stuff. And they're not, re- they're not, they're not really giving you much. You have to like, look, guys, just relax. Like, just tell, you know, tell us about it. You just got to let them just relax. And then once they start, they feel so much better. And then they say, oh, I made them feel relaxed. So I think sometimes even as a host, um, you can make the people feel anxious. I think even your hosting style. Um, because people say that they felt relaxed or they never thought I would have come up, but because I, because you said that, I thought, oh, let me try. And, you know, so you have to make the people feel relaxed that they want to speak. And that's why I think if everybody says no, I don't think that's a relaxed room. Yeah. I don't think the room's feeling relaxed with me and stuff and everyone's still a bit back off, standoffish, and that's not going to be the greatest room. So I would try and always engage, get that interaction in my talks. Yeah. There's a level of uh, emotional flexibility that has to come with this as well. I'd say that um, you know, to, to get to that point where, where many people not getting the response that they hope for from an audience would back off and be like, oh, well then, uh, which is probably the more expected response. They're going to yes. oh, well, they're going to be embarrassed, but we have, no, we're too embarrassed now. We're embarrassed, they're embarrassed, everybody's embarrassed. Let's end there, um, which is just an awkward way to And that makes yeah. the whole event awkward, and that's why you can't leave it there. Yeah, you leave exactly. it there, you're kind of, that'll be, that's like a comedy gig losing the room. That's what people are going to remember as well. That's yeah, if you, if you don't catch it back there, if you, if you catch it, if you just say anyone, anyone, and everyone's like, okay, let's move on, it's still stiff room. Yeah. Whatever you say next, it's not, the room is not any, it's not, it's not any different. So you have to be willing to go bigger and to go out of that comfort area and say, okay, well, this is what people would normally do, but not, as you said. Like I said, I never like normal. I don't like predictable. And I know when I've done it, no one's expecting that. No one is expecting me to say, no, mate, come on. Yeah. I mean, I did a Zoom call with like my talent and I said the same thing with about 20 of my actors on a Zoom. And I said, I told them a whole heap of stuff. And I said, anyone got anything? And they all said, no. And I said, no way. There's no way. that." And, and then they started and you couldn't stop them. So I do it quite often, like even in, like on my own Zoom stuff. And mm. I just, I'm a human and I just believe people always got questions. And I go back to school and, you know, when people say, put your hands up, nobody ever wants to be, who knows the answer? I used to be that person as well. Sometimes I knew the answer. You know, you might, it's 27. I know it straight away, but you don't want to be the one to get it wrong. Then the people laugh. You don't want to be the one. So people often don't do anything. But now I'm like, whatever, wrong or right, let me give it a try, innit? Let's just try yeah, and, and I think people will generally nearly always respect that. You know, I sometimes think back to, uh, and I can't try to remember what event this was now, it was some big concert where Ricky Gervais was hosting and he ended up having to kind of cover a whole big period of time where they where they weren't ready uh, and just doing almost like improv mm-hmm. and not there. And like he got he got kind of slated for it a lot because it wasn't all funny. He was just, but he was just, pulling stuff out of his head as best as he could and you know not everything he, he says is funny yeah and i think he, he actually did an amazing job and he's, as a comedian i have a, a huge amount of respect for him i think he's one of the funniest comedians uh, going very um, clever and good writer isn't he he's good very writer. clever a very good writer you know not not always uh, everyone's cup of tea but then 
nor should he be. You know, that's the whole thing with comedy. That's the thing. You're never going to make... Every, you're never going to... Your comedy's... Like, not everybody makes me laugh. And yeah. you're never going to make everybody laugh. Yeah, exactly that's that. The, that's the reality. Yeah, and, and I think that's one thing that people often forget is that not everything is for everyone. It's like, if it's mm. not for you. Whereas I think, you know, um, online now, people's like, well, that's not me or that, that, uh, that isn't for me. And uh, so therefore, why is it for anybody? doesn't please me so let's get rid of it um, yeah yeah if you don't like it then that. start cancelling you know this cancel thing yeah, so but, but, I said, uh, if you don't like it just move on i guess if yeah and i think like that, it. that maybe is the whole sort of thing with the cancel culture is that where it really sort of comes from where it's a bigger problem is that people can't move on from that and they get hooked on it well if if i don't like it then nobody should be liking it let's let's finish and then they start the twitter thing and then everyone groups up together and then they start the petitions which are you know as i said there's many things in the past that comedians did and the comedy that we watched growing up, they probably wouldn't be able to broadcast today. Oh, most of it, no. Most of it, no. Right? But, but it didn't, it's not harmed us in any way. That's what was out at the time and that's what we watched. It's not, but, you know, there's, there's sometimes things like some of the, even some uh, sitcoms that were on when, when we would have been kids and I'm probably a bit older than you, but, um, but some, some of them, you just wouldn't be able they to... Wouldn't make, they wouldn't make TV today. They wouldn't make... Yeah. No, they, they wouldn't. No, they, they wouldn't. Uh, and some of it, because there is, like, inherent racism in some of it that was kind of okay at the time and making fun of foreign accents and things like that that we don't do now. Um, and, yeah, it's uh, it's a very different world. But, you know, I, I sort of see big... But stand-up comedians yeah. used to say some radical stuff, like crazy stuff, all yeah. sorts in those big shows and all of that. And it wasn't really regulated. Nobody was trying to cancel. It wasn't really an internet. And I'm not saying that we should just go around and say anything, but the thing about comedy was it was just supposed to be like a joke. Do you see yes, what I mean? Yes. It, we, we, we're supposed to... Obviously, you've got the terrible one. I'm not, you know, anything that's terrible is terrible. And in general, it's supposed to just be joke, fun. So I say real stuff exaggerated for me. Any jokes that I say would be coming from like my place or my family or something that I know. So I'm not trying to... I never tried to do comedy that malice or laughed yeah. at people. I had weight. And so I was kind of laughing at myself. Do you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not a skinny person. So I'm not really laughing at people but I, it's a joke though the main event of it is to make people laugh yeah. you shouldn't get drama for this you know do, do you feel though that there is a social or should be a social responsibility in comedy i think now you see now how everything is like now you have to just as he got to be very careful my comedy was always more about me and my way and in the end i'd be like if you're big let's make noise and celebrating it i didn't really like laugh at fat people i didn't laugh at any races mm. or anything i think once i told some jokes about that short guy like, I, because I'm quite tall and short guys used to always like me. And I noticed, like, I just told one joke once that it just seemed like that people seemed to take offence to it. And as I'm saying, something so it was small to me, it was just a little part of my joke, a little, it was funny to us, oh, you're so tall, Mel, the short guy always goes for you. It was just like something in our circle that was funny. But when I brought it to a wider scale, maybe somebody the short didn't really like it. Do you know I mean? I said, That's probably the one joke that I took out of my set because it wasn't about me. It was about short people, and a, and a couple came up to me at one event, and was like, "Oh, I've got a short guy," and I thought, "Oh my god!" Like I was only telling jokes, and so I didn't get cancelled or anything. But that's the one joke I ever did, where people came to me and seemed to take offence, mm. and I was just like, "Oh my god!" It's only the short thing, but then I just thought, "I'll just take it out because I'm not here to make offence. I just wanted to make jokes." I said, other than that, it was more about me, my stories, nothing. That was the one thing where it, if you were short you might have taken an offence. Nothing else in my set would have offended you. Yeah. And so I took that out without, no one told me to, I mean, I don't think it was that bad, but the fact that people came to me at the end, and that's not what I want to do at all, 
I just wrote a different joke. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's probably it's 30 seconds yeah. of my set. You know what I mean? And I just wrote a different joke, mate. No, it's, it's interesting because, you know, uh, I, I've done some reading into theory of comedy. Not that I thought it was going to make me funny. <laughs> uh, I, I just thought it was interesting. And, and it is. It is actually a really interesting area. I bought this uh, uh, course book as uh, like a, a series of lectures uh, about theory of comedy and I was, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it kind of sounds a bit dry <laughs> you know to think about well the theory of comedy that doesn't sound like I've got, I've got, I've got a book somewhere here about how to be a stand-up I was just talking, I've got there are some books like that but it's interesting there is an art because the thing is there is an art there is but there one, is. one of the things that came up in the theory of, of comedy that I was uh, looking at was or listening to because I had an audio book was about the ideas or different ideas of what actually is humor or, or whether humor is even moral because because uh, so much of humour kind of punches down, seemingly, or is yeah, uh, is, is um, derogatory in some way, mm. and whether that's whether that means humour is something we shouldn't really even be aiming for, uh, and yet you know. It, it's, it's absolutely essential that I think it's absolutely essential that we have it, and very often you know, in times where, in certain acts where people are making. I don't know, making jokes about certain ethnic communities mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. minority groups, um, that, that would be seen as being very offensive. But I think it depends on the joke as to whether it's offensive or not. Depends on the joke, I guess it depends who's telling it as well. Uh, and maybe it depends on who's telling it too. But uh, one, one thing that has been shown is when, when that joking is done in, in the right kind of way, that doesn't actually show that any hate against any particular community. It says it actually says that those communities are accepted mm-hmm. because we can joke about them. We feel comfortable enough to joke yeah. about them now. Now we have to be very careful. Like some people will be making, you know, some people do go out there and try and make these sorts of jokes in order uh, to like uh, we actually don't like them and and uh, yeah. And some people just want to be controversial. Some people yeah. just want to be controversial because that's their hype. Yeah, you know, I mean, there are still there are still insult comedians around. Yeah, and that's their hype then, because that's where that, that they might have been like, oh my God, that did you hear? Like Frankie Boyle, like he, he crossed a lot of light, you know what I mean? But he was still getting lots of work. He was getting, I, you know what I mean? He had I a market. Thought, yeah. he, they I, I, I love him. All yeah. these guys, they had a market. They, they, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, that's what they were doing. People yeah. was paying to see them. That was their jokes. You knew what you was going to get. If you went there, you just knew what you was going to get. But me personally, when I write my comedy, I don't try to offend. I just want to bring joy and laughter. And that's yeah. why the, if that couple didn't come to me, maybe I would have left it in. But the fact that two people came to me and, and seemed like they liked it, but oh, this bit seemed like it was a big thing for them. Yeah. I just took it out. And I've never had anybody else, anything else in my set wasn't really, no one could really come to me and, and it wasn't I, about anybody or any that, race or anything. That's the whole thing really, isn't it? Is that if, if you're doing something that is actually intended to cause offence, then then we probably have a problem. And and it's probably not even going to be all that funny as well. Uh, unless you're actually challenging or challenging something in order to push a barrier. But yes. if you're just being offensive. I think in the end, hateful. when I looked at it, I was just having a laugh at short people. That's it. It was it was a, it was a, that was more of a joke for my family and friends. That's what I'm saying. So that's a joke in my circle that I brought to the stage. Yeah. But it didn't work there. It was just a joke that should have stayed in our circle and we laugh at it in the club. It's still funny, but it's not, it's not funny for everyone on a stage. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But it's funny amongst us and our mateys. So I mean, no. so that's why it's different yeah. jokes. And a short guy comedian might be able to make it work. <laughs> yeah, but but I just I just yeah I like to just keep it nice. And I said I'm not here to offend. I just want people to get joy. And the best thing about me was not the money. I just the joy of making the people laugh is priceless. Like the buzz, 
it's just seeing, you know, the pubs, you know, the pub gigs and that, like the people are like there, you mm. know, to see the joy in the faces, that's priceless. If I'm doing a yeah. talk and I see the people really, you know, getting their notepad out, you know, really writing stuff, you know, and that's something that they ask me stuff. They're that that's a good session for me. A session yeah. where people's just saying, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that this is no good for me. Yeah, I think a good humour that is aimed to put people at ease is is social lubrication for one thing, but it's also great social currency. Mm -hmm. I think because I think people really admire that, really really expect it, and being able to get a whole room of people on the same page and laughing is is a massive accomplishment. And as a comedian, must feel great. The, the, the bus for me is like I'm saying, it's like every room. I think I was saying to you before, like I could write my gig today and I could perform it in Hammersmith and bring the house down. I could go to Brixton, maybe that crowd didn't like those jokes tonight. And I could go to Scotland and they might love it. It's the same set, but it's the people in the room. And so I'm saying, I love to bring the joy. So if you know it worked tonight mm. in Hammersmith, and, but it didn't work the next day, it's, the room has changed. And that's what I'm saying, you have to adapt. So if, I, if I'm coming out to bring joy and I'm doing a set with a good set that I know work, but just maybe in Brixton, it's a different crowd. It's, for some reason, it's just not going down well tonight. I'm not going to feel good if I just carry on doing that set against the crowd that's not feeling it, but I just determined I'm going to still do it because it was great the other night. You know when you're not got the room. You know, but some people yeah. just carry on or do I make a change now? That's when I've got to just scrap the set and just like go for something fresh, improv, maybe some new bits I haven't tried before, interact to the room. So where do you guys come from tonight? And it's anything to get the people in, because yeah. maybe it's just not working with that crowd tonight. Rather than you just find and, yeah. and I want to get joy. I'm not come out here for five minutes or 10 minutes or 15, 20 to go home and say, oh man, what a, what a, what a night that was. Like, I, I didn't leave my house and go Birmingham, Huddersfield, wherever, for that. Yeah. So you have to get that change. Or I, I said, I've never, I've never been heckled. I never had any sort of bad gigs, luckily or thankfully, but I definitely adapted. I definitely started, like sometimes I might start and you think you're going to get that laugh. It's like, oh, it didn't happen. That control you, but what are you going to do? Are you going to just lose it from there? You've got to do something different. Let me try, I don't know, I'll try anything. I'll try body popping. I'll do anything. But by the time I leave, I've got to have won that room. You, yeah, I mean, I, I've seen it before when I've been to stand-up gigs uh, and comedy clubs, uh, open mic nights, stuff like that, that some people are clearly determined just to finish the act that they've rehearsed and not veer from yes. it all, even when it's not working. So, and then you have to, who are you performing for? Yeah, just yourself then at that stage, isn't it? Or, or what, if you're getting paid, you're just as you said, they are determined paid. to do yeah. that set. They yeah. are. De some people are just determined that this is what I'm going to do tonight. That's not good show for anyone. No, that's that's not a good. Show. They're going to go home deflated, and the rooms. That's not good for the partner in the room. I think that was a really interesting thing that came up from our from our first conversation together before before we recorded, which was uh, uh, about the adaptability and the flexibility. Was that something you found came quite naturally to you, or did you work on it over time and just think, no, I, I can't be stuck to what isn't working. I have to be flexible with that. Did you just get better at it as you go in? I think the more you went out there. So obviously, like from the first gig, I told you on the first one, I didn't even I didn't even plan for people to laugh at other spots or do anything in my timeline. The second gig, I might have got through it, but I might have reduced it. And what I found in time is five sets, five minutes wasn't enough. Mm. Uh, 15, 20 minutes was better. 
15, 20 minutes. Sometimes I went to 10 minutes. I realized I only added two or three jokes because even though it was double the time, it just gave me more time to breathe. So, um, you know, guys, like before I was so rushed. That's why I was like the Evans. It's because I had five minutes of stuff to say in the five minutes. And I had no room for anything else. Racing. And racing. And if you go against the time, sometimes if you went over in contest, you get you get penalised. You go out. So you couldn't go over. So in contest, I was just trying to rush and do a lot. Outside of the contest, you might have got 10 minutes set. And then 10 minutes first, you're thinking, oh, my God, this is long. But I added like two or three jokes. And I'm like, how can two or three jokes make the extra five minutes? But it's because I was breathing up. I, I, I allowed space in the set. 15, 20, you're thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be a nightmare. But again, it's a few more stories. But then you definitely got to talk to the people in the 20 minutes. Mm. Some think about what's been happening out here. Where do you guys come from? So I found I was doing a bit and I started hosting along the way. So as a host, I turned up blind. I just turned up. I never had anything prepared for hosting um, other than to have the lineup. Sometimes it sets at seven o'clock. The show's at seven. I turn up at 10 to seven. The guy's having a panic. The promoter's pulling his hair out. I'm like, look, can you just give me the lineup, please? And they're like, don't you need to... Re-? I said, rehearse what? Like, as I'm saying, what can I rehearse? In a, in a, in a, for me, in a live show, anything can happen, isn't it? You, you, yeah. you, can't, you can't rehearse a live show. until it, Anything can happen. So what I need is just to know what is planned and I fill in the blanks. So I just need to be here before it starts but they were the promoters used to panic because but I, as I and I enjoyed hosting so much I just come out there you guys all right obviously I might do some research on the acts or a little bit of knowledge but again as the host it's engaging the room you got to you know welcome you guys ready for a good night and they might be like oh yeah I'm like no 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 are you guys so I always do even if they give me a rule I'm like no 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 I always say that you can do better than that guys come on <laughs> Yeah, but it's just getting the people more into it, you know. And then um, we like make some noise for the talent. So I'm, I'm just there to hype up as the host. I'm there to hype up, engage, keep it moving to the time. You don't really rehearse that. No. So, well, we've got, we've so got, think, yeah, you kind of provided some clips of you presenting. So, uh-huh. so let's uh, let's share some of that for the audience. I think that's certainly some of the people listening may, may even find themselves more likely in a presenter position than perhaps uh, stand up. Although I encourage people to to try everything. You know, try you, everything. Yeah, yeah. You haven't done it before. Try that. And, oh wow! Here we go. Greenwich University Greenwich Film and TV Awards 2018 hashtag Rafter. Don't know who came up with that, but it's genius. Yeah, <laughs> use that on social media. Um, I just introduce you to myself. My name is Melanie Gale. I'm an actress, comedian, and host, and I'm very proud and honoured to be here today to present this year's awards. Um, I'd just like to say I actually had the pleasure of working with some of the students here. Make some noise if you're out there. <laughs> okay, I did actually work with some of the students here earlier this year and um, I just have to say the production value, I said to Lucy, they were very, you know, credit to the university, the scripts, the way that they worked, they even gave me really good direction and it's one of my favourite projects today. So well done to you all, I'm wishing you all the best of luck. So you guys ready for the show? You guys are the best crowd, I tell you, the best crowd. But before I start the award show officially, I'd just like to welcome to the stage... The so head- even from that, you know, that's you as yourself, but you're presenting, you can see there's 
there's energy energy there. it's pumped it's energy it's, it's energy. not just going out there well welcome to the awards show yeah. it's really nice to see you all you know no i'm really buzzing yeah I, i'm yeah. really buzzing i really did enjoy that event um as I said, every, like my hashtag that I use is do what you love. And I, I don't do anything unless I love it. Um, I love film. Um, I actually was, I worked with the student filmmakers just by chance that the lady asked me to host it. Do you know what I mean? And um, I never hosted anything like that before. Yeah. They were streaming it live. The, the, so the first year students were filming it and streaming it live as part of their training for the first years. I literally turned up, we had a rehearsal. Everything was going wrong in the rehearsal. All the programming stuff wasn't working. They told me, just take a break, Mark, take a break. And I came back and and that's the event that was just smooth. Everything just, when I came back, I think they really nailed it all. Yeah. And so that one should have been probably an hour and we did it in 50 minutes because it actually, and I was like, oh my God, it just went smooth. And I had to bring people up, the, the speakers, but again, it's running to time. We were ahead of time there. Um, it's, it's quite a formal event and um yeah, I just, I just, and I just went for it. That, none of that is written. It's just, I'm just saying whatever. Yeah. It's well, on yeah, my head. I often get said in uh, speaker circles, generally the audience aren't going to complain if you let them out early rather than, rather yeah, than running massive. They go to the bar. They go to the bar, you see more drinks. Yeah. If you go over, so a job as a host, it's, it's also to keep it to timing. Mm. Um, so even if I do go over, not too long, if the people's talking, you've got to do it in a nice way. Thank you very much. So there's lots of things you still have to do, but do it nicely. Sometimes you have to end people's, like, okay, brilliant. You have to still do all of that if the timing's going over. So you have to keep the time, keep the room engaged. Um, and as I said, I think when you have real knowledge or passion, and I don't need to write stuff. If I had no love for film or TV and I didn't know what was going on, that probably would be not a good gig for me to host. But yeah. I love film and TV. Um, a comedy gig, a music event, anything like that is a good event for me to host. And I'll have that energy there. Yeah, and th- one of the th- the energy definitely shows, and one of the things that is very clear for me as a as a speaker and presenter as well is that um, that performance energy can only happen when you're out of your own head. Like you, not you say about loving doing what you love, but I think you have to love what you do while you're doing it as well. Yeah, and yes. and so you know, even if you don't necessarily love presenting, love what you're doing whilst you're doing it, and and have as much fun with it as possible because that energy has to come from there. I love engaging with people though you see so the fact yeah. is if I love the subject matter is great but if you if you see in that little clip how much times did you get get did I get that woo out of the people come on guys like and if you at the night they're like oh, and, but I'm getting them involved yeah like everything I do I was like I give a clap like if I'm doing I come on give them a clap like it's just getting them involved in the energy like yeah just bringing probably- them into it as well We've probably all seen, though, those kinds of presentations where people kind of get forced to do it and they don't really want to be there. And you can tell they don't really want to be there on the stage. Or, yeah. or, they're, or they're looking on the stage thinking, uh, I kind of want to do this, but I'm really worried what people are thinking, what they're thinking right now. You don't and, force. and they're in their head and, and their energy is inward rather than outward directed, uh, which it absolutely can't be. And, and I think for... For most people, you know, you, you, it's natural generally think to have some fear and butterflies or energy. But if you utilize that and, and send it outwards for the audience, it comes back. It, it comes back. It's, like, it's impossible to not respond to the energy that I'm giving there. Because even I'm watching, I'm like, oh my God, like, I, I, don't, I haven't seen it for a while. Do you know what I mean? But there's energy there. So yeah. if you're in that room, it's even more heightened in the room. So if somebody's like, oh my God, I'm so great, and you're really feeling that. You know when it's fake. If I was in there saying, "Oh, what a great evening!" I'll just read. It. People know. You don't say it. it's got. 
you can, you know, there's acting and there's reality in it. I mean, I could just say, oh, it's so amazing. I'm so glad I'm here. But it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound like it, does it? But yeah. you can see from my hands, like, wow, like my eyes. So the people can see, oh, my God, she's really happy about being here. Oh, my God, they, they're, in, they're totally into it because it's real. Like, there's and no that energy to be in that room and not be going woo-woo. It would yeah. be impossible. You absolutely lifted that room whilst you were there presenting, which is which is critical. They said that someone did it the following year. I don't want to be bad, but they said someone did it the following year, and they said no. They said this. They, they got some kind of like clown kind of comedian guy, but he came with some different style. He's just uh, saying this. It's, it's, everyone's got different styles. I think they went for a different style the following year. And they said, they, I know some students that they said no, no. They said that we're glad that you did it when we was there, you know. But again, that was, you know, if you ask me to do anything. And I say, yes, I'm, I'm going to be bringing that energy or, or, or I'm not coming. That's just how I work. If they asked me to do that and I wasn't even feeling good or I, it just didn't feel up to it, then I, I don't do anything if it's not if I'm not really feeling it. Because, as I said, it's all the energy, just, just, what I ha- just, just what you come to know from me. So if I came off and I was a little bit off, they'd be like, that's not Mel. Like, it's just not right. So I'm known. I'm actually known for my energy. Yeah, I'm actually people always ask about my energy quite a lot. Say, I mean, you, I like that. You say yes and you commit to it and, and, and you don't just commit to it. He's like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it big. I'm to gonna, to, to, to yeah. big. I'm going to do it big. I don't do anything small. I, I, I don't want to come half, half. Um, oh, yeah, I'll just do it like this, yeah. whatever. I because don't have those attitudes. You, you can't be in that space of, well, what, what if I mess it up? What if I screw it up? You know, because that, well, if you keep that in your mind, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Just, let's see what happens. Let's have fun with this. Yeah, I come in here. That's not really what I do, but I love it. I, yeah. I, I haven't got a script or anything. I'm going to tell you a bit about myself. Welcome. Are you guys ready for a great night? Let's go. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just keeping it moving. It's so much the case. I often say to people when I'm working with them on their presentations about uh, if you're having fun, then your audience is going to It's contagious. It, it just it passes contagious. on. Yeah, have fun and have fun for them because they need you. They need that permission to interact and say, okay, this is fun. We can have fun with this. Because not that every presentation has to be humorous or funny, but... Not fun, but engaging. Yeah. It has to feel a part. Like, I remember, like, you know, you used to do those work training courses and, like, I've got the corporate background, but, you know, you used to be on those courses and, like, you're struggling to keep your eyes open. Like, I used to hate training courses in the Mm. workplace. It was like, oh, my God, when's this going to end? Or that meeting is just, like, those things is just not engaging. Maybe the subject's like, like I, 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 like, I have to be engaged. Like, I can switch off in a heartbeat. And I don't, I'm real. Anything I do, I'm just real about it. So I know I've been in those rooms. And if I think about it, yet yeah, there was maybe a subject matter that maybe I already know about. Maybe they're just, just rambling. Maybe, maybe it's had, data heavy. Yeah. They, they, maybe we've heard it already. Maybe the way they're saying it's not interesting. Maybe it's just like, it's just not, you're, just not, you're just not winning me or the room. Yeah. And there's no energy in the room. And everyone's looking at the clock. A room like that is quite often in training courses and stuff like that. Yeah, what, um, that kind of training I, workshops. Yeah. I know I fall asleep. I, I, I can yeah. fall asleep. Those, those rooms are just wasting everybody's time because no one is going to remember a damn thing from no it. One's, no one's not paying attention. No. So I'm saying, that's what I'm saying. If I'm in one, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, if you're doing that, you must at some point realise, you know, the people's not... And as I said, it's like those people are determined, like a bad comedian, to just carry on and deliver this workshop despite the room not having any interest. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not trying to lift it. And they're going to carry on doing that for the next five or 10 years. Because at some point, you have to make a change 
or, or people's not going to sign up anymore to those courses. Do you know what I mean? When they put the feedback in, it's not going to be good. Yeah. Um, so when I try to do a workshop or something, I'm very aware of how I've been on the other side. And I don't want that person to be sitting down like I did, or when's she going to stop talking? So I make sure I, I don't do something like what I didn't like. So yeah. we've all been on the other side. Yeah. When you're delivering it, I've got to make sure I'm not doing that, 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 and that. What I saw was wrong, and then do it in my style. Yeah. I, I'm very me, aware yeah. people dip off. People dip yeah. off quite. Um, attention span is not really high these days. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you give give people a, give people an inch and they'll be on their mobile phone for an hour. Oh um, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's really what happens, isn't it? You know, you lose lose the engagement. Uh, I do I do a lot of online training, webinars, group coaching, that kind of thing. And I know that if I don't keep the energy up, if I don't keep calling people back to be engaged, if I feel like the engagement is dropping off, mm-hmm. I know that they're either on their phones or they're on Facebook or wherever mm-hmm, else, mm-hmm. and I need to bring them back. You have um, to bring them back. But it is the responsibility to a great degree of the host um, to sort of say, well, he, you know, here's the boundaries. Be here for yourself and you know, get the most out of this. But also, I have to keep the energy high as well. And my natural style is probably kind of laid back. <laughs> I'm a very laid Everyone back. Everyone has their own style. That's the thing. Yeah. Everybody, as you're saying, we're not saying everybody must be funny. Sure. But then it must be engaged or something. But everybody has their own style. Yeah. But for those kinds of things, I have to turn the energy up. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I'm going to lose people. It's like it's one thing if I'm sort of having a chat or a conversation and we can have that sort of more relaxed style. But for even for this, you know, it's like my my natural style might be a bit too slow for for a podcast. I, I still bring the energy because even here, being myself right now, it's still some kind of performance. It's still some yeah, kind it's of, still engaging. Like you're gauging me, we're engaging, yeah. and the you know, there's still energy. It's energy for me is everything. Energy is it's everything. Key. Energy Absolutely. is everything. That's another one I use quite often. Energy is everything. Mm. Yeah, and especially when in the presenting and speaking world and, and comedy world as well. You know, if you yeah. if you haven't got the energy, you know, you can you can make a a kind of low energy character and make comedy through that. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But you, you still have you still have to bring performance energy into doing that. Into the, in, you have to bring the performance energy even in a low energy character. Yeah. Well, one thing that was is really interesting, and I want to bring it back to the the story kind of thing, because I know some of the people watching and thinking, well, it's all you know, good and well, and Mel's very funny, but, but I'm not sure if I can do it. Uh, how could somebody start to maybe create or construct a story that might have some humour in it? What what would be your recommendations to people trying to find some humour? As, as I say, the, the key thing is, um, as I say, it's the way that you say it. So it's a story. But if I just read it like in a book, then maybe it's not. So it's the way you're going to tell it. And as I said, my, my stories may not even have big punchlines, but there'll be something funny that happens in the story. Remember, as a comedian, you can never laugh at our jokes. So you have to just load it up. You just have to load it up. When a storyteller is it's not, not really like the punchline that's going to come, but the whole thing might be funny. So if, 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 you're, if I was doing a story, if you're, even if you're presenting and you're telling a story about your past in, in it, like, you know, when I was growing up or whatever, and make it relatable and real. If you're going to bring anything in, don't just go on something that's so far away that people can't relate. So, you know, if you could always do something, you know, talk about trains, any, anything where people can relate in your story, make it relatable, keep it real. But I think the key to every speaker is being you, I think, I think in voiceover, the key in voiceover is you, your voice. Joanna Lumley, voice, you know Joanna Lumley's voice. Instantly. It's Joanna Lumley, yes. yeah? 
that that is it. She's she can do comedy and everything, but the minute she opens her mouth, you know it's Joanna Lumley. People said to me that like, they know my voice. Some people just have a distinctive voice. Mm. Yeah. So you use your voice, um, but you be you. So I'm not trying to say anyone must be me or be you, but what I always do is just put myself on the other side. So again, if I was going to do a, 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 a tell the story, like you know what would make me like it, or or when I heard other people tell a story, what didn't I like? I'm more I'm more in the reverse. I'm more about what what when I hear stories, what don't I like? What was it was it boring? What what was it about that why I didn't like it? How would I have done it differently? That's what that's what I, everyone tells a story, mm. and some people some people tell me a story, and I'm like, oh my god. When you're going to get to the main bit, yeah? So, yeah. so and, and so, again, so if I'm telling a story, you have to get it succinct. You have to get it key, key parts. Key part in telling that story, the key punches and your energy or whatever you are. But I know, so again, I know I'm very careful of dragging it out. Get mm. in there quick, especially if you've got a tight set or if you've got a tight timeline. Keeping the story there. Sometimes the connect is, you know, when I was too... Yeah, when you were two, how much years are we gonna catch up to you in fifty? Now like, it's way too far back, right? Yeah. Like so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was two, and then when I was four, and like, um, people's like, "Are you serious, mate? Right? You've gone way too far back. Yeah. Maybe you round up the because that's what some people like to do. Then tell you about myself, but you, you, you go into stuff that is not relevant. So I'm saying keep it relevant to what you're doing. So I'm saying I don't know what story you might do. It's in a presenting thing. You normally might just be telling a story like. You know, so when I was doing this, I, you know, before I started or some kind of story about you, why you're here today. But that has got to be about the course or whatever you're speaking about. Key reasons and factors right. about. And if there's a funny story about it, drop it in. But as I said, there may not be a funny story. Mm. But it, but whatever it is, just keep it exciting. Like, oh, you know, like your, you guys, I once was, if I was in a course on comedy now, you know, I'm going to come out, you know, I'm a comedian, award-winning, blah, blah, blah. But look, when I was two, my dad said I was funny, you know. And then when I went to school at five, they, like, no one wants to hear all of that. Just sure. cut forward to the main punchy bits, exactly. the selling pointers, and why they want to listen to you as well. Why do they want to listen to you today? It's all in the editing. It's all in what you take out of it. You, you, yeah. can't, you can't have anything extraneous, really. And I think even more so in comedy, whereas, like, you know, you have to be, uh, there's even rhythms to it and, and things like that that have, that have to fit. So you can't have stuff in there that doesn't need to be there. Doesn't need to be there. Make and, it as current, um, yeah. relevant, you know, just, and just, and just enough interest that, that I would say, wow, I really want to hear what this person's going to say. Do you know what I mean? Because I said it in, in a comment, in a, in a presentation, you might not really be telling stories as jokes as I do, yeah. but somebody might say something and yeah. you might be like, oh my gosh, I remember something. Yeah. But so you can really drop something in like that in a story, but keeping it short and interesting, I think. Everyone can tell a story. <laughs> It's a good habit to have in life, though, because, uh, you know, I, I do lots of group coaching work. Some of them might even listen to this. And I'm sorry if this is you and you're listening to this. But uh, some people you ask a question and uh, and you get the life story, as you say, you know, you get you get you know, going, going right far back or I start, uh, you know, you asking them, well, what, what would you like to achieve? Well, you know, we had this problem years ago and, and then this happened. And my wife said this and then my kids were 
that's not why I asked you. You get the answer, yeah. Yeah, you're providing all this background information that I don't need and I didn't ask you about and nobody else wants to listen to. Nobody else wants to know today. Please get to the point right now. Get to the pointers. You know, as I said, if it's something, if you're doing a talk about sports or whatever you're speaking about, make your story relevant to that. I'm saying that's the only kind of story you should be telling your stuff to make them relate or get them more engaged in that. It's not necessarily to make them laugh. But it's just maybe to show them that, you know, I was like you. So, again, if I did comedy talks, I could tell them, God, when I first did my first thing, so that they might laugh at it. The story might be funny. I've got stories for days. So uh, mm. so that would be an easy course for me to do, the art of comedy or something about comedy. Yeah, but well, yeah, absolutely. I, I think um, I, I was lucky enough a few years ago to, I was on my honeymoon and uh, we were in Vegas and oh, uh, we got tickets to go and see Cher. Oh. Uh, because why wouldn't you? And uh, and it, and it was amazing. You know, she's an incredible performer. She's the same age as my mum, uh, and she, it's good, right? she's amazing. She looks amazing. She's amazing. she performed uh, an amazing set. And in between some of the songs, um, she would do these just just uh, chewing the cud with the audience, just chatting about general things, and none of it was really going in any particular direction, but, but it was so interesting. You know, just get a piece like, of share, I guess, to get something more share. than the record. Yeah, I guess it's a bit of that, but you know, she's, she's like talking about stories from like back when she was first started out with Sonny and things oh like that. God. And, and it's, well, it's not, not necessarily relevant, but it is interesting. Yes, like, yes. I would, I would listen to that woman for, yeah, for but the thing is, when would you hear that? When, if you heard it before, like something uh, like that is, is, is she can get away with that. Absolutely. She you know, can with her fans in Vegas. Do you know what I mean? Because people are hanging on it and, and there's like, no, please tell us stories about what it was like for you when you first got started with Sunny or or people who uh, tried to stop you progressing in the music industry and things like that. It's like, I'm saying everyone's got stories. Yeah. I'm saying everyone's yeah. got stories. Doesn't matter what you do, but as they say, it's the way you say it. It is. And and as I said, I I am the person. I'm the worst person to have a story told to me, as a storytelling comedian. <laughs> I, I, You're analysing it, right? <laughs> I'm I'm just like, oh my god, can you fart? I'm just Hurry constantly. Up. <laughs> okay, can we get to 20, 2020 now? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's some a lot of people I find that, that that's what I always do. Oh my god, I've got a friend. It's just like the worst. I'm just <laughs> so. So, yeah, so I'm not the best person to tell a story if you're a bit long, basically. But you could be a great person to coach people on if they want to improve their I, I think I should, I should do coaching for this. I, I probably yeah, want yeah. Um, some kind of coaching for this because it's natural to me. I think there's um, a demand for it, man. I think you'd be very good at it, yeah. If there's a demand for it, you know, and it's, it's, it's anything I do, is I don't do, if I do it, I'm only going to do it with love and to help and really give the people the knowledge. And I think, as I said to you, some things is right in front of my face, so you don't see it. Um, comedy and acting coaching. I do so much with my talent, and my talent's doing so well at my agency that um, a, few, a few people have said to me, "Can I do coaching?" Like even like around the world, acting and stuff, and motivation, even for business. And um, and I think the key to all of the things that I do, all of them, no matter what, is my energy, is the, the passion I put into it. The passion is important. Um, but yeah, I think if it was a business person or somebody, because I said you don't have to be funny like stand up. No. But it's just no understanding, as I say, how to tell it. So I'm saying, even if I was to look at someone's presentation, it might be interesting for me to see someone do a presentation in their style and then see me do it, the same thing, because I'm sure it would never be the same. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And maybe sometimes you're just in your style because that's all you know. 
maybe you need to see somebody else do it. Yeah. And the reason why I say that, because um, we do a lot of self-tape auditions at the moment for film and stuff. And sometimes five of my talent go for the same part. Mm. But they don't, they don't do it the same. Yeah. Yeah. And I get to see all of the differences. They don't. And, I, and then sometimes you've got like two that's like amazing, but they're so different. So I'm saying, so there's no wrong or right. So I'm saying, so I'm not, I'm not here to sit down and tell presenters, your presenting style's not good or anything like that. But maybe I could look at the way that some people's doing it and just offer another way that maybe they haven't seen because not everyone, you're not going to, maybe you haven't seen another presenter's thing or, or yeah. somebody try your, your thing or like, you know, someone try and do your set, you know, someone try your comedy set, you try someone else's and see what comes out of it. So sometimes it is good to just try it from a different angle. Yeah, which is, which is a good idea for any kind of presentation or performance, really, uh, to to keep doing that. And if you don't, and if you don't have the insight, or if you're feeling stuck on that, get some outside help and get some outside perspectives so that yeah, will probably yeah. give you what you need. Uh, because and, it could uh, be little, it could be little tweak, yeah. you know. Could be a little tweet. You know, one of the one of the biggest progress uh, levels of progress I ever made as a as a speaker and presenter was was hiring my hiring a coach to to help me. Oh right. That. And um, and I did that after losing a, after losing a competition that I thought I was going to win. Oh. <laughs> and I, you know, I was like, I get in my head about these things afterwards. So then going to yeah, but why did I lose? Why didn't I win? I had a really good speech on this, and I look back at it and thinking, you know, I was like, at the time I didn't like losing, of course, but it was the best thing that could have happened to me because mm. it got me to a point where I was thinking, I can do better than this. I already think I was already thinking oh, I'm already pretty good. And, uh, you know, I'm already, already up there. And, and there was this whole area of growth that I didn't even know about that my coach introduced me to. I was like, wow. Uh, How long did you have coaching for then? Oh my gosh. Um, about eight months. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, uh, and uh, and I will still I will still go back for more coaching from from experts in the future as well. I may mm. go back to the to the same guy in the future because it's been so valuable in terms yes, of development. Yes. Because sometimes you don't know what you need to know in order to develop. And some that's what I'm saying is sometimes you don't know. Maybe some say like a lot of people are visual. You know, so I'm saying some people are visual learners. So I'm saying sometimes it's good to see someone else do your thing. Yeah, and and just to see someone else do your own thing where you would never have seen it because sometimes could be a lot. Yeah. Um, I, I'm very visual. I can do that. Like, even if I do, I vlog, I don't vlog. I, I, I'm more of a, um, if I do a biography, I'll probably be a video, but like, I'm more very visual. And at work, we did the art, which styles that you learn on these visual studies. And I was, it said, I'm a, actually, I'm a visual learner. A lot mm. of my talent, if I try and explain something, sometimes they don't get it, but give them a video, talk to them on a video, on visual, they'll get it sometime more than the text. That's what I'm saying. Sometimes a presentation, you might have it so set in your way, but then yeah. say, maybe you sit down, maybe you sit down and let someone do it to you and you see if it's engaging, isn't it? That's what I'm saying. You have to, I think people don't go on the other side enough. Yeah, the majority of people are, are, are more strongly visual in terms of very visual, and, and, and but you know, re- realistically, we need all of, we need all of them in terms of learning styles. You know, my my research, even have a guest on recently who was talking mm. about learning styles. I was saying we're kind of moving past that in the education uh, sphere now because it's like we are all of them, whatever. Uh, yes, yes, we, we have to learn all, all of them. them. We have to do all of them, but have to do I think a lot of creatives. Yeah. Somehow visually it just really seems But our brains but our naturally our, our brains work more visually. Yeah. So we tend to be more responsive to visual cues and responsiveness than anything. Basically a lot of creative arts, a lot of creative stuff, yeah. I seem to think. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so, I mean, there's a, a whole different pathway to explore there. And we kind of need to be drawing things to, to close for today. But I oh, knew wow. this was going to be a fun conversation. Oh, yeah, it good was, and it's been you. fun. It's been interesting. And uh, I really enjoyed every, every minute of it. And right. um, I, I wonder if there uh, are any resources that you might be able to recommend or direct people to that might help if they're wanting to work on their humor or presentation performance. That well, you there was a book that I had... Uh... There was some kind of book that somebody gave me. I, I can't tell if I read it, but there was some kind of book about stand up, something about getting into comedy. Yeah. I recommend comedy courses because even us in the corporate world and all the directors and stuff, they used to struggle with their presentation. Nobody wanted to do the speaking. They were do, introducing comedy courses in the corporate world. So they knew comedy would help in business. Mm. So even in a little course that I did, it may help if someone did a comedy course or workshop, not to stand up, but yeah. to learn the art of it. And then, and then applying that to your stuff. So again, look on Google for any local. Co- oh, yeah, I would. I've even told actors because some actors are very stiff, and they in commercials they love comedians. So in commercial castings, they love comedians because we'll let ourselves go. Um, a lot of actors sometimes are very stiff. Oh, theatre darling, or not. they don't want to be silly. Sometimes, sometimes you need to be silly. Um, and so I, I reckon even I recommend even actors sometimes do comedy just to loosen up a bit. Um, so the speaker, business person, a comedy course is a good pointer. Um, any book or anything about the art of comedy. And I think just even, just I think being confident. Mm. Um, so any sort of book, self-help books. I just re- read things like The Secret. I just read things like that, Secret Law of Attraction. Just I'm more, I'm more on a positivity with the comedy. I, I didn't really read up about the comedy as such, apart from that one course. But everything else I do is more positive energy. And then that just all works in with the comedy. Yeah, I mean, I've read some books on stand-up comedy and even like writing comedy for sitcoms and things like that. And and I found a lot of them to be very useful. But I think more than anything, the thing that is useful about it is getting into that habit of thinking in those sorts of ways. And the yes, more you do that, the more you start to and find quick it. Quick thinking. Yeah. You have to be a quick thinker. As the host, you have to think quick if something goes wrong. If right. something, you know, to, so it's quick thinking. Um. So maybe the art of comedy might help you with that. Yeah. Uh, but I think you have to be a people person to be a good speaker. Be, be on comedy. Right. So this, I have comedy, but I'm a people person first. So I'm always going to be concerned for the people in the room, if it's the audience or the speaker, the, the people that's come to hear my comedy or come to hear me speak. I did one with some youth, like 13 to 19. And they told me that they're not, oh, these kids, oh, they're not going to like it. Oh, they don't pay attention this. The kids didn't want me to leave. They loved it. But I just went to their level. I just used their talk, how they speak. And so you have to relate yeah. to the rooms and stuff. Um, yeah. more, so comedy is a part of it, but finding your voice, finding you will deliver your... You need to find you as well, I think. Yeah, it, yeah and wanting to connect with the, with the audience as well. And what do you want to bring to them yeah. for them to connect with? And that's the key. And then you can make it funny after that, maybe. Yeah. Absolutely. I think if you're having fun with it, you're, the humour will start. The people will come. So sometimes it's just fun, but energy is a vibe. You know, you just make the people feel good. They might just feel motivated, uplifted. Not, you know what I mean? You, mm. That's what you want them to come away. Oh, that was really good. That was worthwhile. And tell other people about it. You know? Yeah. Melanie, where can people come and find out more about you? Okay. Uh, Google. You can go on Google Melanie Gale. I've got my website, uh, Melanie uk. Um, I've got my talent agency, Melanie Girl Talent.com, where I represent actors and comedians. 
I'm on IMDb if you want to see my film history. Um, I've got a web series coming out on YouTube on the 1st of September called Having a Field Day, where I'm playing a silly character called Sheila, which I love. Um, so yeah, I think just follow me on melanygirl.com, on Instagram, Twitter. I'm on all the socials, LinkedIn. We'll put these links in there into the show notes. Uh, and uh, by the time this goes out, your your web series will be up as well, I should think. Oh so, my uh, God, yes. So we'll put a link out. to that in as and well. If you want to hear the rap stuff, you know, it's Caramel <laughs> G, you know, look for me on Spotify and all that. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going uh, to check it out in a minute <laughs> myself. <laughs> Might come back. You never know. There you go. You know, some comedy hits. Well, absolutely. I'm gonna I'm gonna be keeping a, an eye out for you as well now, and, uh, oh, and certainly, you, yeah, it's been a real pleasure. You've shared a lot of really great information, given some really nice insights, and it's been a lot of fun. So, Melanie, nice being yeah, fun too. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please remember to like and subscribe. If you are on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. We'd love to know if you're enjoying the show and if there's anything we can do to improve it for you in the future. Lots more great guests coming up, including continuing the series in comedy and humor and presentations and much more besides. So please make sure you like and subscribe for future episodes. See you again next time.